morning and welcome to the program. Great to have your company. It is a Wednesday. And all the news and your views here at Marcus Paul in the morning. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. If you want to send me a text, 0458 049 209. And, of course, if you want to send an email to the program, you can do that right now as well. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Uh, that'll get directly here into the Grant Goldman studio. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Plenty of news around. Let's get into it. Okay, it is a Wednesday and it's the 10th day of February. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Stop with all the BS spin from the Prime Minister down whenever there's an issue uh, relating to the inappropriate spending of public money or something they don't like hearing any criticism. Oh, it's the politics of envy. The Mayor of the Blue Mountains, Mark Greenhill. Why did they ring us and approach us and ask us to apply? And why during all the follow-up conversations did this criteria never get mentioned? We were surrounded on three sides by fire. Yep. Homes were lost in our community. 70% of our world heritage area destroyed. Our tourism economy brought to its knees. We put in 24 grant applications for $5.4 million and received not one cent. It's hard to understand. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, uh, 10 minutes after 5. Now, 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Uh, sadly, we're starting with some... Awful news again with another missing swimmer off a Sydney beach, this time around at Maroubra in the east. Swimmer is missing. Police were called after a witness spotted the swimmer struggling in the water. The rescue helicopter was called to help in the search. Two swimmers have been rescued by police and a number of the public on the New South Wales south coast. Meanwhile... The 18 and 19-year-olds were swept out by the surf after getting into the water at Bar Beach, Naruma, yesterday afternoon. A senior constable and another person helped the pair to shore with the assistance of the Naruma Surf Rescue. And the men were assessed by paramedics at the scene but didn't require any further treatment. Look, that's good, but in Maroubra we still have a missing person. So first light again this morning. It's all eerily familiar, isn't it? By the way, in relation to the missing baby, uh, we brought you that story first thing on Monday. This is the uh, the bub down there at La Perouse that a number of witnesses in a panic on late Sunday afternoon rang emergency services. They thought they had seen a baby that was wrapped in plastic in the water. Well, police are now calling on mum. All right, they haven't found 
anything, but they're calling on mum. So, um, look, hopefully we can get to the bottom of this. It's become a, a little bit of a mystery. It's quite sad, actually, if you think about it, because we don't really know the outcome of this. Now, I believe that the, the people who, the witnesses, I mean, if it was just one, I could understand maybe somebody had misseen something. But there are a number of very credible witnesses who claim, all of them, that they saw an infant, a baby wrapped in plastic, bobbing up and down in the water off La Perouse late on Sunday. And that's what led to that large-scale search. Unfortunately, though, nothing has been found. So police are now calling on mum, perhaps, to come forward and offer some information. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Look at the moral to all of that with another swimmer missing and that near miss down in a rumour yesterday. Please, please take it nice and easy around our beaches. You just have to. Far too many drowning deaths in New South Wales so far in 2021. <laughs> Some brighter news. Princess Eugenie has given birth. The baby boy is the first child for Eugenie and her husband, Jack Brooksbank. She gave birth at the Portland Hospital to a healthy son, weighing just over eight pounds. And I have no doubt whatsoever the great-grandma and great-grandpa, the Queen and Prince Philip, will be absolutely stoked. So that's some nice news this morning. Princess Eugenie has given birth. Her and her husband, Jack, have welcomed a healthy son. No name yet. No name. It'll probably be some really uh, British common name. I'm sure when I say common, you don't say common, do you? If you're talking about the royals, that's not good. Bit of a faux pas there, Marcus. It is early. I'm still waking up. Uh, Look, a big, big program on the way this morning, as we had yesterday. By the way, I don't normally do this, but I thought I would. um, After yesterday's program, a number of our listeners and supporters and followers shared my editorial and my interview with the Blue Mountains Mayor, Mark Greenhill. And I have to say, uh, the actual posts that we put up on social media went a little viral, if we can say that. Can we be that bold as to say it went a little viral? Yeah, it did. Anyway, it was seen by, uh, well, nearly 80-odd thousand people, shared nearly 300 times, and I want to thank everybody for being involved in that and sharing it far and wide. It was popping up everywhere yesterday. Not bad. Not bad for a little program like ours, is it, Scruff? Anyway, as long as we can try and hold uh, our politicians to account. Meanwhile, I I did yesterday watch the opening question time of 2021 for the New South Wales Legislative Assembly. And I noticed out of all of it, I noticed a couple of things. First and foremost, I noticed the Treasurer of New South Wales in a bit of a feisty mood. Uh, and he was, I have to say, he was very feisty, Dominic Perrottet, yesterday in the chamber in Sydney, on Macquarie Street. 
and he was almost arrogant, going on about how, you know, uh, his baby has only ever known uh, an LNP government in Sydney. His child has only ever known an LNP government in New South Wales. And that, you know, his child had never been forced to live under a Labor government in New South Wales. Anyway, he was taunting and poking at the opposition. Poor Jody, Jody McKay, boy oh boy, she was audibly frustrated, audibly frustrated. I mean, she tabled her uh, what she wants, uh, you know, more of a, a look into, you know, the irresponsible and pork-barrelling expenditure of uh, the current New South Wales government. But yesterday, she had a, a real good crack. She was the first up to ask the very first question after regular business had con, uh, completed and straight at the Premier, demanding uh, that Gladys Berejiklian appear before the same commission that the deputy, John Barillaro, did the other day. We know what happened from there. And then the Premier got up and made this speech and talked about how wonderful the state was going and how well they'd done during the pandemic, etc., etc. Didn't answer the question, and then it was on. In the bear pit, was on for young and old. Something else that stood out for me, and I, I shared it uh, with my followers on social media, was Minister for Transport, Andrew Constance. Now, he was quizzed yesterday by the opposition's Chris Minns in relation to senior transport bureaucrat Rod Staples, who, as we know, has been sacked and gets a nice healthy payout of some $800,000 from New South Wales taxpayers. Now, Chris asked, and rightly so, why Mr Staples had been let go, considering his performance review only a few weeks earlier with the Premier was top-notch. So was it political? Why? I mean, Andrew Constance has said that, you know, it's time for a refresh and all the rest of it. I understand that, but Boy, oh boy, it costs a lot of money. Anyway, yesterday, Andrew Constance claimed that senior transport bureaucrat Rob Staples may well return to the public service. Watch this space, is what he told the opposition's Chris Mintz in question time yesterday. Well, if that being the case, Andrew, why the $800,000 plus payout then? Anyway, I'll speak to Chris Mintz about that this morning. Also on the program, uh, Alex Chelios from thebigsmoke.com.au with a few things to mull over. Alex always has some interesting topics she brings to the program and you can check out her work and that of her journalists, her independent journalists at thebigsmoke.com.au. Special guest in the studio later this morning is Helen Dalton MP, our hashtag water warrior. I look forward to bringing Helen into the program and Having a chat with her, I think it will be, is it the first time this year? Yes, the first time in 2021. Helen, of course, is in Sydney for Parliament this week, so she'll be on the program. I'm also going to speak to a farmer. Now, this has been organised by the wonderful folk at Beef It Up Australia. Let's speak to a farmer who's at his wit's end. He's on the border of New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little later. 
Uh, Stuart Bonds from One Nation wants to come on the program as well. A big bank is pulling out of the mining industry in the Hunter. Why? We'll find out off Stuart. That's a little later this morning. So it's a pretty busy program. We'd love to have uh, you on as well. Let us know your thoughts on any of the issues and any of the stories. 131269, of course, I want to go through into a little bit of detail what Anthony Albanese is expected to say today. The federal opposition leader is set to address insecure work in a policy speech today. Our Albo promised us last week on this program that he would start talking policy, and that's exactly what he plans to do today in Queensland. He will detail an alternative plan designed to give the gig economy workers more protection and improve conditions for people in casual or contract work. Yes, the old underemployment story. So that's on, uh, that's on the way. I'll give you more details on that. We put a call into Albo, but I doubt very much whether it will come on today, most likely tomorrow. Uh, and also investigations are underway after the mural of the former Rural Fire Service Commissioner Shane Fitzsimmons was defaced after just one day. This is that new mural at Erskineville Railway Station in Sydney's inner west. It was defaced. Now, police have released CCTV footage of the man they want to speak to. Why do people do that? Why? I don't understand. I don't get the whole concept of graffiti. I really don't. Not at all. Anyway, that's on the way. 13 12 69, the telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. It's 21 after 5. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. Talking, talking, talking. All the news and the views. Listen, you can hear me through the radio. Marcus Paul, weekday mornings from 5am on 2SM. All right, let's go to the open line, 131269 up there in Cessnock. Uh, Al, good morning, mate. How are you? Oh, very well, thanks, mate. Very well. Um, yeah, look, I just want to make a comment about the World Health Organization and their um, their first assessment of this uh, uh, COVID nineteen outbreak. Yeah, um, it, it, what they're saying is going to script, um, as far as I can see. Um, what, what they need to do is muddy the waters to make everything look very, very doubtful, and then uh, what they'll come up with, uh, they'll come up with uh, an open finding that. Uh, they don't know where this thing started, and it could have started from anywhere in the world. That's what they're going to come up with. Um, the people in the World Health Organization, a lot of them are, are uh, 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 how shall we put it, um, Tedros is, it comes from Ethiopia, and his country is heavily in debt to China. Yeah. And a lot of, lot of other countries as well are heavily in debt to China, and the World Health Organization basically have their hands tied. They they can't do anything. They can't say anything. And uh, as I said, I think they'll find an open finding, uh, despite evidence, and and the evidence that would have been there years oh years ago, months ago, has, has gone. Yeah, so, look, the uh, you're right. This investigation uh, really has gone script hundred uh, percent. The independent yep. independent uh, mission to China to Wuhan to investigate the origins of COVID nineteen is drawing to a close and. I mean, they basically... Do you think the Chinese were going to let them find anything? I don't think so, Al. No, no, not at all. And, and I think I think really, I, I think 
most people would realise it's one of two things. It's, it's either it's, this has come out of a laboratory in, in, in Wuhan and escaped by accident. That could be a very big possibility. Yeah. Or possibility too, it started in the wet markets. But what, what they can't deny is that they kept the information hidden for at least a month from the world. And, and that's what's let the uh, uh, pandemic out. And they are responsible for that. Oh, so, I believe uh, so. Absolutely, they're responsible for it. Good call. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Have a good day, mate. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, 13 12 69. If you like Al, would like to have your say on any issue, any issue at all, give us a call. Uh, we'll go to the news now. 5.30. 30 in Queensland. 131269 2SM for your emails. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. All right, welcome back. Good morning if you're just joining us for the first time. It's 24 minutes away from 6. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Anthony Albanese will seek to make the next election whenever it falls, whether it's this year, could be, late this year or next year. Albo will make it all about a fight to do with insecure work rather than a referendum on the government's coronavirus response. He'll try and steer, if you like, the public debate away from COVID-19 onto work. In an attempted reboot of Labor's successful 2007 campaign against work choices, the opposition leader will use a speech in Brisbane today to accuse Prime Minister Scott Morrison of a full frontal attack on pay, conditions and job security. Labor has already flagged rejecting, in their entirety, the government's proposed IR changes, industrial relations laws, and Mr Albanese will unveil an alternative policy plan that would give so-called gig economy workers more protection and improve conditions for others in casual or contract work. Yes, he's going to attack the casualisation of the Australian workforce. Alrighty, 13 12 69. Marie, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Marcus and young JR and all your listeners. Just following on from your previous caller, he asked the question to China. He was asking how the virus escaped, etc., the day we can't ask China a question, not only was it Scott Morrison, our first leader, that asked the question, and the President Trump, it was 130 other countries wanted to know too. And to think that we have the audacity to ask China, Marcus, the day we roll like wimps and bow to China with all the nations around the world pulling together, China might need us before we need them really because they value our iron and our ore oh, yes. and our wool. Yes, absolutely. There are are plenty of markets out there, Marie. We don't need to necessarily always have to rely on China. No, and it's time they got to understand the message. We are still trying to negotiate, but if they're not big enough to do that, I'm sure the majority of people in China would like to deal with Australia, and I'd like to know if your listeners would agree, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. Appreciate it. Well, give us a call if you agree. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Imagine spending $2.2 billion to change the face of Sydney 
So far as skyscrapers are concerned, only to be told by an inquiry that you're unfit to operate a brand new casino. That's what's happened to Crown. Uh, look, it's not the end game for Mr. Packer. Although there'll need to be some major changes. The New South Wales Liquor and Gaming Authority will, uh, of course, be calling for a change in the corporate culture of Crown. Uh, This inquiry has uncovered links to organised crime and money laundering. So basically, if they want to remain suitable to hold a liquor, uh, sorry, a gaming licence in Sydney, Crown would need to make some big changes at the top, and it should start with their board. Anyway, we'll give you more details on that story. But as I say, um, I mean, that building there is magnificent. It's created so many jobs and it will eventually open as a casino. I mean, right now, obviously, there are people that will move in and live there. And I think Packer will be in one of those (laughs) magnificent penthouse apartments at the top. Uh, But there won't be a roulette wheel spun for quite some time. Why? Well, unfortunately, they're not deemed a fit and proper organisation to hold a gaming licence under their current management structure. Anyway, if you want to have your say on that, 131269, the telephone number. Let's have a look at the weather just quickly. For Sydney today, partly cloudy, maybe a shower or two. There was a bit of rain overnight. While a few sprinkles, uh, the car was wet and the garden was wet when I woke up this morning, so that was good. Uh, A top of 24 degrees for Sydney today. For our listeners in the central Tablelands for today, partly cloudy, medium chance of showers about the Blue Mountains. This morning and early in the afternoon, tops of 23 degrees around Bathurst and Orange. And for those on the mid-north coast, tops today for Coffs Harbour, Port Macquarie of around 24 degrees. Partly cloudy for you with the medium chance of showers becoming less likely later this afternoon. Okay, uh, that's for our station sticking with us through till 9 o'clock after 6 this morning, New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. That's 2SM Sydney. Of course, listen to us on 1269am or digital radio. Our listeners in the Central West on 2EL Orange sticking with the program. 2HC, 639am at Coffs Harbour. And good morning as well to the team up there at Radio 5.31am and FM 93.5 at Port Macquarie and for the Mid-North Coast. Uh, And by the way, well done to Nico. We've got a a brand new sponsor starting next week, a brand new sponsor for the breakfast program, Marcus Paul in the morning. will be brought to you by 40 Winks, Port Macquarie. So we welcome 40 Winks, Port Macquarie, to the Marcus Paul in the morning family. And uh, we look forward to a, a long and happy and healthy association between us and 40 Winks up there at Port Macquarie. Make sure you support the businesses that support us. Good afternoon, everyone. I try my best and I don't always get it right. But I don't stop trying. But today, effective immediately, I stepped down from the presidency of the Collingwood Football Club. From the moment I became the president of the Collingwood Football Club on my 34th birthday back in 1998, my sole motivation was to heal, unite, inspire and drive 
a new social conscience, not just into this club, but sport and the community in general, and build an organisation that would be a place for opportunity for all people. Back then, Victoria Park was falling down around us. On the last weekend, just past, it looked magnificent as our AFL women's team played amazing football to win on Gay Pride weekend. Rainbow flags and the Collingwood cheer squad alongside the black and white. Women of all types of size, religion, sexual orientation and cultural background. It reminded me of the journey from when we established our LGBTQIA support group, the Pink Magpies, the first in Australian sport back in the 1990s. How far we've come. Yep, there he is, an emotional Eddie McGuire announcing uh, his resignation, if you like, or standing down as president of Collingwood Football Club. I mean, they've been losing their minds in Victoria over this story over the last few days, but um, I could care less, to be honest. But anyway, uh, Maguire's position had come under severe scrutiny after his response to an internal report into racism at the club and an open letter that had circulated in recent days calling for his head Fronting the press conference, as you heard just there, Maguire announced he would resign from the role he had held for more than 22 years. Probably a couple of years too long, to be honest. Anyway, he said he tried his best, but he doesn't always get it right. He doesn't stop trying. Uh, a very tearful Maguire also addressed how he had become a, a lightning rod for criticism after calling the leaking of the Do Better reports which found systemic racism in Collingwood a proud and historic day for the club. People have latched on to his opening line last week. As a result, he became a lightning rod for, rod for vitriol, etc. Look, I think this is what happens, it's just an opinion, I think this is what happens when you outlive your welcome, Eddie. Uh, you know, what do they call him, Eddie? Everywhere. Everywhere. Anyway, look, he's had a really good run, Eddie Maguire, and he's been very successful. He was very popular at one stage, Collingwood, uh, a very successful AFL club, but I reckon uh, perhaps it is time to move on. And, you know, he, say, he says that his comments about the Do Better report have become a lightning rod for criticism, and I agree with him on that. I mean, I understand what he was trying to say in this report, uh, you know, he basically said that it, it was a proud day that they'd finally recognised that there were some issues regarding racism. And people with agendas misconstrued that, uh, misconstrued that and, you know, basically ran with it the way they wanted to, to suit their own, um, you know, agenda. And uh, that was unfortunate for him. Anyway, he said he didn't want to prove a distraction to the players in the upcoming season. And he said the club's work in the community, including its programs with at-risk Indigenous people, showed it wasn't racist. Uh, yeah, and he's probably right, to be honest. I think they have done a lot of work down there in Collingwood, from what I've seen, on addressing inequality, etc. Uh, I think sport in general in this country has done a great deal toward uh, reconciliation, towards supporting Indigenous Athletes, athletes from all sorts of cultural backgrounds. You know, uh, it's not it's not Eddie Maguire's fault that Australia still has a racism problem. It's not his fault entirely at all.
Anyway, he'll go and, you know, life will go on and the football season will start and at the end of the day, he'll probably be better for it health-wise. I mean, he was obviously distraught and it wouldn't be the way that he wanted to go out, but I think it is time to go out, Eddie. Move on to something else you've always managed to, you know, fit in, fit in everywhere and do well. Who knows what's around the corner for Eddie Maguire, but yeah, big changes to him. Didn't he quit his breakfast show in... I think he quit the Triple M breakfast show in Melbourne as well in the last six months, so a lot of changes. Maybe it's time just for a break, Eddie. All we hear is... Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Okay, six minutes away from news time at six o'clock, New South Wales, daylight saving time. It's great to have your company. It is a Wednesday. 131269 is my telephone number. We've got a really nice note here from Catherine. I, well, when I say a nice note, we always appreciate receiving your correspondence. We try and answer all of the emails and <laughs> the messages we get, even the nasty ones. Uh, but this one from Catherine reads, Marcus, I want to get my story out and warn listeners not to use Jetstar's online booking system. My story is not an isolated case. I received an email from Jetstar saying, here is the voucher you requested. However, I did not know my flight was cancelled nor request a voucher. When I inquired what the email was all about, I was then informed I had already used my voucher to book another flight. This all supposedly happened in 24 hours. Jetstar tried to tell me my computer was hacked. That's a joke. I eventually found out that someone fraudulently went on to or into Jetstar's supposed secure booking system and impersonated me and used my personal information to cancel my flight booking, ask for a credit voucher and make another booking. Jetstar have now wiped their hands of this and don't want to know about it. There's been a person charged, but I don't want to hamper the ongoing police investigation. But I do want to warn listeners not to use Jetstar. I want to get the word out not to use Jetstar's online booking system to make a booking and pay in this way. That's from Catherine. Well, Catherine, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we might share that, uh, that story of yours on our social media, and I'm disappointed that Jetstar have wiped their hands of the whole issue, considering there's a police investigation into it. Surely you've got a police report? Uh, look, I don't know how much you paid for your tickets, but, uh, I mean, I'd be hassling the airline, saying, look, hang on, someone has fraudulently used my details... And you need to give me a refund. Anyway, like she says, a police investigation is ongoing into this, so, you know, we can't really say too much. But I think it's very disappointing, and I agree with you, Catherine. It is very disappointing from the airline's point of view. If there is a police operation underway into the hacking or the fraudulent use of your details by another party, well, then surely the airline can see this if you provide, you know, the adequate ev evidence and they can refund you and compensate you. I would have thought that's the way a good business operates and a fair business operates. News next, 6 o'clock.
Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Stop with all the BS spin from the Prime Minister down whenever there's an issue uh, relating to the inappropriate spending of public money or something they don't like hearing any criticism. Oh, it's the politics of envy. The Mayor of the Blue Mountains, Mark Greenhill. Why did they ring us and approach us and ask us to apply? And why during all the follow-up conversations did this criteria never get mentioned? We were surrounded on three sides by fire. Yep. Homes were lost in our community. 70% of our world heritage area destroyed. Our tourism economy brought to its knees. We put in 24 grant applications for $5.4 million and received not one cent. It's hard to understand. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome to the program. Hello to our listeners. 2EL Orange in the central west of New South Wales. Those that are with us on 2HC in Coffs and FM 93.5 and Radio 531 in Port Macquarie and for the mid-north coast. And, of course, here in Sydney on 2SM Digital and 1269am. You can listen to the program online as well uh, through your favourite app. Uh, go to tunein 2 smsupernetworkcom as we get into all the news and the views for you on this Wednesday morning. It is the 10th day of February... And the Premier has outrightly refused to front a parliamentary inquiry to answer serious questions about the ongoing document shredding scandal as Labor signalled it would introduce legislation banning the destruction of government information. New South Wales Labor leader Jody McKay gave notice of the impending legislation after revelations that important documents relating to a quarter of a billion dollar grants program were destroyed. An upper house inquiry into the misuse of government grants has already heard how this deliberate destruction of government records helped bury the tracks of a scheme where 95% of funding went to coalition seats in the lead up to the 2019 election. An independent investigation by the State Archives and Records Authority found the Premier's office had broken the law by shredding the documents. Separately, The Information and Privacy Commissioner referred the matter to the Independent Commission Against Corruption and recommended the creation of an offence covering the reckless destruction of government information. Now, Ms McKay said she was shocked to learn she should have to do this. But the current law wasn't broad enough to address the government's inexcusable behaviour. During question time yesterday... Jody McKay insisted the Premier front the Upper House inquiry to answer questions about the shredding saga, but Miss Berejiklian repeatedly refused, at least three times. I mean, this intransigence was in stark contrast to the attitude of her deputy, John Barillaro, who, as we know this week, appeared and defiantly told an inquiry that throwing huge amounts of cash at particular electorates in a system of distorted election promises, was simply standard practice for the Berejiklian government. Mr Barillaro said, and I quote, you want to call that pork barrelling? You want to call that buying votes? It's what the elections are for. It's the democratic process. Now, Miss Mackay said the offer to the Premier to explain herself remained open. Well, Jody, haven't you learnt yet? 
don't hold your breath. I'd worry about your health if you held... I could see how audibly and visibly frustrated Jody McKay was yesterday. I watched Question Time, and yes, straight away, the very first question by Miss McKay at the Premier was all about accountability. And what did Gladys Berejiklian do? Well, she obfuscated, of course, and, and tried the usual LNP spin of saying what a wonderful response her government had led to the COVID-19 pandemic and how much money, taxpayer money, it's not your money, Gladys, anyway, how much taxpayer money had been spent throughout the state in response to the natural disaster of the bushfires and, of course, the COVID-19 response. That's all well and true, but it doesn't excuse the shredding of documents or pork barrelling. Nothing wrong, as I've said yesterday on the program, nothing wrong at all with spending taxpayer money to stimulate the economy and help communities affected by bushfires. No one's got an issue with our money being spent that way. What the issue is, Premier, is that we want it spent evenly and it shouldn't be, uh, you know, just in electorates that voted for your mob. All right, because the money... I mean, somebody emailed me yesterday, Marcus, how about I withhold paying stamp duty? How about I withhold paying my taxes? How about I withhold a certain amount of you know, uh, revenue that goes toward the state government that they expect us to fork out. You know, we are one of the highest tax nations in the world. Try living in Sydney. It's one of the most expensive cities in the world. We pay a pretty penny for the privilege of living in the Harbour City in particular. Now, for those in the Blue Mountains... Those that might be listening up around uh, the far north of New South Wales, up around the Yamba area, those on the central coast for that matter. Why should you miss out on government funding to rebuild your communities after uh, bushfires, etc., just because you perhaps voted a Labor MP in? Anyway, it's baffling. It really is baffling. But again, uh, the Premier is very good at deflection, and that's what it's all about. 131269, the telephone number. I mean, yes. I mean, the irony of it. Uh, the government in New South Wales, and even at a federal level, when it comes to scandals, corruption, the misappropriation of money, pork barrelling, whatever you want to call it, rotting, they always turn around and say, ah, it's just the politics of envy. It's just the politics of envy. That's all it is. <laughs> a note, too, from David Shoebridge, who we spoke to on the program this week. More confused after Barillaro's evidence than before, you're not alone. David says many of the grants, or David writes to me, he says that many of the grants were not awarded because they fell under the criteria requiring them to be more than $1 million, but 34 of the grants were for these amounts. He says the criteria were always public, but the only evidence of them in a single page of talking points and those involved, like the Blue Mountains Mayor, weren't told about them. 23 were knocked back because they weren't quote-unquote shovel-ready, but many of those have been awarded dollars, but many of those that have been awarded dollars are also not ready to go. That's a note from David Shoebridge. 
this morning to the program. And David says, like me, and I agree, that he's even more confused after John Barillaro's evidence <laughs> this week. 13, 12, 69, if you'd like to have you say. Chris Minns will be the first of our guests this morning. Uh, this comes after yesterday. I noted with interest that New South Wales Minister for Transport, Andrew Constance, claims sacked senior transport bureaucrat Rob Staples may in fact return to the public service. When Chris asked the question yesterday, why had Mr Staples been moved on, considering he'd done a wonderful job, even according to the Premier, I mean, this bloke was given a five-star rating, Rod Staples. He's one of the highest-paid bureaucrats in New South Wales, or at least was. And he'd done a magnificent job. Look, I have to say, credit where it's due, you know, to, to those in the transport of New South Wales office. The trains... The ferries, most of our buses, I don't really catch the bus, but I use trains and ferries now quite often. I even use the light rail and the metro. They have never looked cleaner. They've never looked better. I mean, we have a a pretty good, decent public transport system here in New South Wales, and I would argue that Rod Staples has probably had a lot to do with this. I think he's done a magnificent job. In fact, the Premier even (laughs) said that he'd done a magnificent job because he'd received a, well, an extremely good review of his performance just three or so weeks before he was shown the door. Now, they say it's all about a rebirth, if you like, or a re-energisation of the transport sector in New South Wales. They want new leadership at the top. Well, that's fine. But then Mr Constance yesterday said, quote-unquote, watch this space. That's what he told Chris Minns in Question Time yesterday, watch this space. So he's hinted that Rod Staples may well return to the public service and in the vein of looking after future projects in relation to Metro. Well, if that's the case, why was he shown the door? And why do taxpayers of New South Wales have to fork out some $800,000 to this bloke? And I don't begrudge him it, because obviously that's his deal. But I don't get it. If you're just going to re-employ this fellow again, which obviously Andrew Constance has mentioned yesterday that that's likely to happen, then why are we paying him out? Couldn't he have just been, I don't know, put on extended leave? Couldn't perhaps... I don't know, he have just taken some absence without pay? I'm not quite sure. I'm all about accountability for your money, taxpayer money. And I'm sorry, again, in my mind, this just comes across as a blatant waste of our money. I mean, you wouldn't think so if you're Rod Staples. He's laughing all the way to the bank. But again, it's mismanagement from a very senior level within the New South Wales government that sees taxpayers in this state forking out money we shouldn't be doing. If Mr Staples is going to return to the fore in transport in New South Wales, if he's going to be a part of the new metro and, uh, you know, projects going forward, well, then surely he should have been put on a leave of absence and not being paid out, only to receive probably what will be in the future another lucrative contract.
Alrighty. Meanwhile, uh, some New South Wales residents will finally get their hands on this $100 stimulus voucher. That's a promise from the Government Customer Services Minister, Victor Dominello. said a trial of the Dine and Discover scheme will roll out in Sydney's The Rocks and the town of Broken Hill before the weekend. That's nearly three months, by the way, after the $500 million or half a billion dollar program was announced as a part of November's state budget. Since then, the trial program has been delayed not once but twice. Originally, the trial was to run in mid-December, and all eligible adults across the state were supposed to be able to use the $425 vouchers by last month. As of yesterday, nobody had received their vouchers yet. A government spokesman confirmed this. The ambition is to issue the credits to select people in two trial areas before Sunday. There will be another trial after that in Sydney's Northern Beaches area and the Bega Valley Shire. The statewide rollout is currently scheduled for March, according to Victor Dominello. A further rollout across the state is probably commencing in March. Probably? Half of the vouchers will be earmarked for food and the other half for fun. I think it's a great idea, don't get me wrong. And it will, as we slowly come out of this COVID slumber, it will lead to increased employment and and some more economic stimulus within the very, very uh, struggling hospitality sector in New South Wales. Now, as for entertainment, the expanded list of businesses that will accept the vouchers will include cinemas, museums, zoos, go-karting tracks, bowling alleys, travel agencies and sightseeing buses. The roughly 4 million New South Wales residents who already have the Surface New South Wales smartphone app installed will automatically be issued their vouchers when it is their turn. So, look, if you want to be involved with this, I guess my advice to you is if you haven't already download the Service New South Wales smartphone app. Do that. Mr Dominello has promised if you have the app, you'll wake up one morning and you'll have the vouchers on your phone. Those without smartphones will be able to access their vouchers at Service New South Wales centres. Three other states have already rolled out voucher programs to stimulate local economies since last year. Tasmania has given out vouchers for holiday accommodation worth a maximum of $550 for a family with kids. The Northern Territory has recently announced a third round of vouchers that match residents' spending on tourism experiences dollar for dollar with a maximum value of 200 bucks. And South Australia has had two rounds of holiday accommodation vouchers, with the latest round offering a total of $150 per eligible person. I don't mind this use of taxpayer dollars. It gets us out and about spending within our local communities uh, and reinvigorating economies, which is great. So let's hope. Uh, Look, the only other issue, of course, I guess, is that, I don't know, why are we trialling this thing at the moment? Why don't you just open it up statewide now, Victor? Maybe because it's not ready. I'm not quite sure. Um, But why do we need to keep trialling things? Let's just get it happening. The quicker, the better. All right, welcome back. I'm just having a look on the government's website here, uh, newsouthwales.gov.au. 
uh, where it says residents in New South Wales will receive $100 worth of vouchers to use for dining and entertainment to help support local businesses and jobs. It's the state government's Dine and Discover Out and About scheme. And they said that it would roll out from January 2021. It will provide New South Wales residents over the age of 18 with four $25 digital vouchers. Uh, They can be used at participating eligible businesses and venues who are registered as COVID safe. So uh, we're a little behind, but look, in fairness, it'd be a big scheme to get underway and they need to get it right. Maybe that's why they do need to trial it in a few areas. I mean, I know Helen Dalton, who is uh, going to be a guest on the program this morning, was a bit critical. I mean, she likes the scheme, as I think most people do. It's a good use of taxpayer dollars, in my mind. But I know Helen was a bit disappointed that, you know, residents of the northern beaches of Sydney were going to receive it before, I don't know, people in her struggling electorate. Why in her electorate have people been struggling? Well, I'll have a a good story about that a little later this morning. We've got a a bloke who's about to lose everything. Everything. He's uh, tried to operate a pub on the New South Wales-Victorian border, but with border closures, COVID-19, etc., well, it's just all gone pear-shaped. So we'll hear his story and... Perhaps it gives some credence to Helen Dalton, who will also be on the program this morning, and her call, perhaps, for these out-and-about and 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 dine-and-discover vouchers to go to areas outside the northern beaches. She makes a really good point. I mean, nothing against, you know, those in Manly and DY, etc. But people living in Manly, DY and, uh, and elsewhere are hardly struggling compared to those that are living along the Murray Darling. And in other regional areas or rural areas of New South Wales. I mean, Broken Hill, why on earth they'd choose Broken Hill as a, as a site for uh, nothing against Broken Hill, but why would you use Broken Hill as a trial site? Just get this thing happening, Victor. Uh, it's a great idea. The Dine and Discover out and about vouchers. Let's get them out into our communities statewide as soon as possible, I think. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, Australia's only independent and contemporary talk radio show. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Anthony Albanese, well and truly in election mode today, the Labor leader will deliver a major policy speech. Policy. Yes, Albo promised me last week on this program that we'd start to hear some policy You'll need it, mate. You'll need it. His party opposes the government's workplace reforms and he wants improved conditions for those in the gig economy. Albo wants the coming election to be fought on differing visions for the country and not COVID-19. Marcus Paul in the morning. Give Marcus a call. 13 12 69. Okay, 22 minutes away from 7 o'clock. I've got a note here from Brett's. G'day, Marcus. I'm a Sydney bus driver and I love your program. I uh, just want you to know you're pronouncing Albo's surname wrong. Please refer to Lawsy or Albo himself. Uh, cheers, Brett. Well, Brett, I've spoken to Anthony off air about it. I've said, uh, you want me to call you Albanese or Albanese? 
And he said, what are you being calling me? I said, Albanese. And he said, well, yeah, run with that. That's fine by me. I think Albanese is Lawsy's thing. Either way, and this is from the man himself, from Anthony Albanese, either way, he's comfortable with. Uh, he, he said he's been called all sorts of things in his life, in his political life. <laughs> no doubt, politics, it's a tough game. Anyway, but he says, uh, look, if somebody wants to call me Albanese, I'm okay with it. If someone wants to call me Albanese, I'm okay with it as well. He said either is fine. Um, I don't know, I'd feel a bit weird changing it now. I've, I've probably got it wrong for so long. Although, yes, I have spoken to the man himself off air and Albo. I think we'll just go with Albo, shall we? Hello, Mick, how are you? G'day, mate. We called him Albanese at school. There you go. And various other names, as he said, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, mate, true. two things. I want Labor to get in, but poor old Abbo's got to get out of the way. So boring. He's almost as boring as Bill, but hasn't mastered the art of looking disappointed when he goes, hmm, like Bill Shorten did. Yeah, um, but do we need to... Hang on. To come yeah, but how much is personality a part of this, do you think? I mean, um, Abbo For Labor has, leaders, it's enormous. Well, true, but Abbo's got his own charisma. The problem is they, oh. won't, they won't be changing leaders, Mick, and if you, you want to support a change in government from a federal level... We got you know you got to get behind uh, the leader. Mate, we the tried le that. We tried that with Shorten. Well, he you didn't can, miss I by mean, much. He didn't miss oh, by much. Mate, hey, listen. Anyone um, who think anyone who's silly enough to stand up there and mm. not cost their number one centerpiece policy well, and true. just say you have to believe me on this is too silly to be allowed to run our country. And as long and as we party, don't, hang any on. party you think you can win yeah. is too silly to run. And we don't need, uh, I would imagine, uh, people turning up and saying, look, if you don't like it, don't vote for us. So hopefully there's yeah. lessons learned by that. I don't know, mate. Uh, they're not going to change. So No, they're not going to. And it's so sad because we're going to be condemned to another four years of Liberal government um, because he can't win. You know, like, look back. Well, I disagree. I've spoken to you before. Look I back disagree, at past Labor winners, mm. charismatic. Yep. Every time they're not charismatic, they lose seats. Um, yeah, but Albo's real, though. Hang on. Albo is real. He's, you know, he doesn't sit in fighter jets and yeah. he doesn't uh, you know take his Abbott, photography. You know how Albo didn't dump short, didn't dump Turnbull. He let him sit on the front bench with him. Mm. Albo should have dumped Shorten, too. He's tainted. Tainted from his years in the um, union, mate. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you, mate. Now, by the way, good morning. Uh, Tony, Tony Abbott. Apparently listens to the program every now and then. I caught up with Tony yesterday in a lift. In a building in Sydney, he's moved into a new uh, a new office. I won't say where, obviously, but um, he's uh, moved into a new office. I caught up with him uh, yesterday when I was picking my partner up from work, and he's a uh, he's a, a new resident in their building in the middle of the city. And uh, as we were getting into the lift, right behind us was the former Prime Minister of Australia, Tony Abbott. Uh, I've never fully supported Tony Abbott's policies, but I like him as a person. I like him as a bloke. I got into a conversation with him yesterday and introduced myself and, and said, have you been kept busy, Tony? And he said, oh, well, I'm not as busy as I'd like to be. Something along the lines of ex-Prime Ministers being unemployable. Anyway, uh, look, Tony Abbott is, uh, you know, regardless of your politics, Tony Abbott is a good bloke, a really, really nice man. Um, I don't agree with a lot of what he, he and Peter Credlin did um, during their tenure, but as a bloke, he's a decent fella.
and he's, you know, unlike ScoMo, he holds a hose, mate. All right, first day of Parliament question time yesterday in New South Wales on Macquarie Street. This was the first question announced of the Premier Gladys Berejiklian from Jody McKay. Question is to the Premier. Premier, you've used public funds to, and I quote using your words, curry favour, and you've politicised bushfire relief. You're yeah, I don't know what happened to that audio. It's a bit, uh, a bit dodgy. But anyway, uh, basically, Jody is asked the Premier whether she would appear before the parliamentary inquiry into her government's grants rorts. The response, well, <laughs> I guess it spoke for itself. Not much more obfuscation and more marketing spin from the LNP on what a wonderful job they've been doing. Distraction is the game. Uh, now, the Shadow Minister for Transport member for COGRA is Chris Minns. Good morning to you, Chris. Marcus, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, as always, Chris. Um, look, yesterday got a little willing, uh, which I knew it would. There's a lot to dissect and a lot to discuss uh, at Macquarie Street there. Uh, the Premier, let's start with Jody's first question. And then, of course, as per usual, Gladys Berejiklian went on to, uh, you know, as politicians do and leaders do, outline um, the wonderful achievements and work that's been done in the last 12, 15 months in New South Wales by her government. I'm not buying it. It's a distraction away from these issues. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, politicians get a lot of grief for being political, but this was a really non-political question. I thought it was, you know, there's been heaps of concern about the distribution of the bushfire funds to communities that have been hit by bushfires that didn't get any money, and the sports rorts grants where most of the, the funding allocation went to coalition seats, even though they only controlled, you know, uh, just over 50% of the parliament and got 90% of the funds. Mm. Um, so it was a pretty reasonable question. Look, will you front up to the parliamentary inquiry so we can find out what happened? And it was a predictable answer from the Premier. No, I'm not going to do that. And then just, you know, obfuscation. Now, um, you know, political power comes with accountability. It's really the difference between a country like Australia and, I don't know, Myanmar or somewhere else. So, you know, mm. when, you, when, when you just thumb your nose at reasonable questions from the Leader of the Opposition... I think it does um, the state a big disservice. What's Dominic Perrottet's story? Uh, he had a good old crack at you yesterday, I noticed, and, and other members opposite him. Um, he mentioned, uh, and he made it quite personal, he mentioned that he has a, uh, a young child who's always grown up knowing a, an LNP government in New South Wales and quote-unquote, thank God my child has never had to live under a Labor government in this state. Uh, I thought that was a little arrogant from a, a bloke that has led to, you know, has overseen the scandals of eye care. Yeah, yeah, poor kid. <laughs> no, look, I don't know. He can be, he can be, uh, the, the golden rule on the bear pit, Marcus, is you've got to be funny. If, if you crack a joke, you could pretty much say whatever you like. And that's the larrikin kind of Australian way. Yeah. Um, and there's been some very funny coalition and Labor MPs that have got away with murder, to be honest with you, because they've cracked the joke. Yeah. And there's a bit of a bipartisan, you know, rule that if you've, if, if it's funny, it stays. But, um, look, I think they're, they're a long way from being hilarious on the floor of the parliament at the moment. And they've got real questions to answer. I mean, you know, got a $3 billion blowout in the latest Metro 
a $3 billion in the metro before that. And as we've talked about before, their signature transport infrastructure won't be completed now, according to internal uh, government documents, until 2033. Now, I've got a four-year-old. He'll graduate from high school before the train line's completed, which I think is just a laughingstock. It makes New South Wales look ridiculous. Well, there we go. Uh, I mean, you can uh, anybody can spin a story, if you like, to, to suit their own needs. And, I mean, uh, Dominic Perrottet says that his child has never known a uh, Labor government. Well, you know, one of your kids will never get to travel the Metro while, you know, they probably need it. Anyway, let's move on from that. I, I noted with interest yesterday that's your opposite, the Minister for Transport, Andrew Constance, uh, when you quizzed him on Rod Staples, a very senior transport bureaucrat who's been shown the door despite having done a, a stellar job according uh, to the measurements set aside by the Premier, and yet this bloke is being paid $800,000 to walk out the door only. Watch this space, is what Andrew said to you yesterday and to New South Wales taxpayers. Watch this space. It's almost as if he's suggesting that Rod Staples may well have a future role in the Metro going forward. Now, if that's the case, why did they sack him? Really good question. And um, this is off the back of work done by my colleague, Daniel Mookie. I know he's a regular guest on your program. Um, So we discovered that a, Rod Staples was sacked by uh, Andrew Constance at the end of last year. No reason was given. And then it was discovered that the payout was $800,000. Now, you had a, a but heard on the program earlier, a bus driver emailed in criticising your pronunciation of Albanese, but yeah. putting that to one side for a second, mm. that fella probably earns about sixty-five grand a year yeah. working his guts, up, guts off for the New South Wales public takes pride in his work, turns up every single day. Now, the head of transport was, according to Andrew Constance, doing a fantastic job. When he was pushed out, it was an $800,000 payout, more than an $800,000 payout to him as he, was, as he left uh, the room. Now, that is an enormous amount of money, hmm. but you would assume that that would be uh, the termination payout. To hear yesterday that he's got, that he's, that he's thinking about a second job for him, presumably in the Department of Transport. I mean, what is going on? What is going on? How can you pay someone out such an extraordinary amount of money only to rehire them moments later? Well, I've received notes, and I understand the, uh, you know, that apparently the policy is very clear, that you can, under a certain act or section, um, sack somebody without notice, without reason, etc., which I find is absolutely ridiculous anyway, uh, okay, that being the case, if that's what they wanted to do, then w- let this bloke go. Why then rehire him? Uh, no doubt he's a very good operator, obviously. I mean, I'm credit where it's due. I mean, I know you're Shadow Minister for Transport, but I, mean, I use a lot of public transport these days because I'm living closer to the city and I, I don't mind getting on the, uh, the ferry, the buses, uh, trains, etc., and they're, you know, they're in pretty good nick. The new trains are looking fantastic. And by the way, uh, congratulations to City Rail staff. I have never seen public transport look as clean as I have in in the city of Sydney. And obviously, COVID's got a lot to do with it. And I would imagine that this Rod Staples has been the man behind a lot of this uh, to get our trains running as on or close to time as possible, to get them up to scratch. I know we've had issues with, you know, uh, new trains and new infrastructure, but, I mean, the system itself is going okay, and Rod Staples is probably 
had a lot to do with that. So why let him go? Yeah, I mean, look, our fear has always been around infrastructure that you can't have public transport for the east and the north west and toll roads for the western suburbs where the vast majority of people live in Sydney and where most of the new entrants, the new immigrants to Sydney are being populated. One in two new entrants to Sydney move around west of Blacktown. So um, yeah. they can't have as their only infrastructure expensive toll roads. But look, I paint, I'll paint a scenario for you. Mm-hmm. The metro blows out by $3 billion. The southwest metro blows out by $3 billion. The newest metro has an extra four or five years added on the completion date. You've got a $1.5 billion blowout in the light rail. You've got toll roads that are way too expensive and the privatisation of them on the way. You've got a mess in relation to land acquisitions in the metro line from Badgerys Creek Airport to St Mary's. You've got, in my view, a department on the verge of chaos and ineptitude. And in that scenario, Marcus, it's... Oh, you there, Chris? Sorry, mate, you just dropped out in that scenario. What, sorry? You've got two people responsible, the chief executive of the department and the minister. And I think he's decided, well, he's gone, not me. So he's been pushed out the door. Well, yes. I mean, there's no doubt that it's a political decision and that they needed to find a scapegoat. And I think it's pretty obvious that that wasn't going to be Andrew Constant. So Rod Staples is the man. He's been figuratively (laughs) thrown under the bus. And that's the way it works in public transport under this government. Yes, unfortunately, that's the case. And the key thing here is who's being forgotten. It's the commuters in Sydney. It's the people that need public transport to get to work every day. Those Mm. that are under pressure in terms of jobs and employment and economic opportunity, they're the ones that need to be looked after by the government. And in the meantime, the senior uh, ranks of the department are worrying about themselves. All right, we'll talk more on this, no doubt. Uh, Will we have uh, some kind of closure on this rorting, this grant scheme, this $177 million um, allocated to LNP seats mostly uh, for bushfire funding? I mean, for goodness sake, uh, I didn't know you could get... uh, Apparently you can get fireproof parachutes, Chris. (laughs) Well, the key thing here is you, know, you don't hear the magic word, yeah, we made a mistake. That's not been said. In yeah. fact, at all these inquiries, it's the same response. Well, pork barreling's part of our job. We're going to keep doing it, which implies to me, Marcus, they're going to do it again and again and again. The only solution in the long run is to vote these guys out and have a change of government. All right. Good to talk to you, Chris. Catch up soon. Thanks, Thank Marcus. you. All right, there he is, Shadow Minister for Transport, Chris Minns, on the program. Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say. Alex Jellios from thebigsmoke.com.au will be on the program soon. Helen Dalton, also after 7.30 this morning, she'll be live in the studio with the Murray MP. Talk about water and other issues there. Good morning.
Well, it's actually quite a busy Wednesday here at 2SM Sydney, uh, 2SM Digital, 2EL Orange on the uh, in the Central Coast, the Central West, I should say, and also stations that are taking us in Port Macquarie and on the Mid-North Coast. Good morning to you up there and also 2HC at Coffs Harbour. We've got the latest news next. Welcome back to the program. Good morning if you're just joining us for the first time on this Wednesday. It's great to have your company. It is February 10. Now, special guest in the studio in just under half an hour's time is Helen Dalton, Murray MP. Michael West Media will be breaking a big story later this week about how foreign companies can avoid capital gains tax when they make massive profits on trading Australian water. Yep. We've come across a private ruling from the Australian Taxation Office that suggests foreign residents can disregard any capital gains tax as water is not considered a real property. Because water ownership is tra- and trading is so bloody secretive, it would also be easy for foreign companies to hide assets and profits in offshore bank accounts. Now, Helen has asked the New South Wales Water Minister, Melinda Pavey, about it, and she said, as she passed the buck, it was a federal government issue. Well, Helen is right. Melinda, you're wrong. The water is in New South Wales. Surely, as Water Minister in this state, there is something you can do to put pressure on the government at a federal level to close this loophole. I mean, Helen's called it treason. She's probably not far off. Australian farmers have to pay a tax, but foreign companies avoid it? I mean, how un-Australian is this? Meanwhile, Helen's rural electorate, rural electorate, has been the centre of the rural health inquiry with some shocking findings on the state of our rural hospitals. A patient in Griffith at the Griffith Hospital, was told to bring his own bandages because, well, quite simply, the hospital didn't have any. This is New South Wales in 2021. No bandages in Griffith Hospital, but plenty of money to spend elsewhere, it would appear. Rape victims trying to access Griffith Hospital have had to drive to Wagga, which is a couple of hours away, for treatment. Because why? Well, no doctor in Griffith was accredited to administer a rape kit. There's no mental health unit at any hospital in the Murray region. It's an area of 107,000 square kilometres. Now, Minister for Regional New South Wales, John Barillaro, said he was shocked to find that rural hospitals are so underfunded. Really, John? You like kicking own goals, don't you, mate? You really do. You were shocked to find out that rural hospitals are underfunded? What the hell have you been doing over the last few years? You better not answer that. You've taken your eye off the ball, bros. It's what you've done. How on earth can you turn around and say that you were shocked to find out that rural hospitals, considering you're a Nationals MP, you're the leader of the Nationals here in New South Wales, and yet what, you're shocked? Boy, oh boy. Also disturbing is the fact that hundreds of people did not, uh, did not give their names when they made submissions, such as the fear of being bullied by New South Wales Health for speaking the truth. 
Yeah, we need far more protection for whistleblowers. Name suppressed was the most popular name in the list of submissions. All right. Well, there's a few big issues we're going to mull over a little later this morning when Helen Dalton, Murray MP, arrives here in the studio. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. It's now 12 after 7. And now on Marcus Paul in the morning, Alex in the Big Smoke. Okay, Alex Chelios joins us each and every Wednesday from thebigsmoke.com.au. Hello, Alex. Hello, how are you? Oh, look, I can't complain. It's not bad. It's a little cooler outside this morning. It's a beautiful day in Sydney town. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into this weather. Yeah, it's not so hot. A little sticky, but it's it's just nice. Now, the history behind why we buy roses for Valentine's Day and why the 2021 pandemic Valentine's Day gifts are more depressing than ever. What's this about? Yeah. Valentine's Day, by the way, is on Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, are you into Valentine's Day? Well, I will be this year. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Has to be. Um, but basically, this is an interesting practice. So this came from 18th and 19th century um, a, a practice called floriography. And it's basically where people would send these floral bouquets to people that they were really attracted to. Yeah. And, um, and roses were the reason, the, the main choice, not because roses at the time symbolized love or affection, but simply because they were the most hardy. Okay. And easier to and easier to to send them. They was quite sturdy, so they the people would often send different coloured roses at the time with mm. pink, you know, symbolising grace and appreciation, and yellow for friendship, and then rose, um, the red rose over time became the symbol for love. But it really wasn't about romantic sentiment, and more around just the fact that it was easy to to actually move and transport around the country. Well, the problem is, um, I don't know whether, I mean, roses are beautiful. Of course they are, and they do symbolise love, etc., as you've mentioned. The problem is, though, Alex, that roses die. All flowers die. Well, that's a good point. They do. So I, so I, I think that I actually love flowers. I'm not a big fan of red roses, but I love flowers. So I'm always, my house always has fresh flowers in them. But... Um, in here, but um, but yeah, they do die. But also, I think that's a. I would rather flowers that die than like a gimmicky gift, which is what is very popular now. And um, and there are all these gift guides at the moment around Valentine's Day, and it's really kind of like kitschy kind of you know gimmicky stuff, like a big, a big jumper that you can both fit into. And I'm just not. Like, I don't. I'm not feeling it. All right. Well, look, if you're not feeling it, roses are red, violets are blue. If I had a brick, <laughs> I'd throw it at you. Oh, that's really romantic. Thank you. Isn't it? Not at all violent. All right. Why is plain vanilla flavouring as a concept raging across America with over 100 cases since 2019 asking, is it really vanilla? What's the go here? (laughs) This is kind of amazing. It would be like Dr Pepper being sued for, like, not having pepper in its its drink. (laughs) This is what we're dealing with. There's a guy guy who actually is responsible for nearly 100 of these class action cases that have been filed over what is vanilla flavouring. So is vanilla really vanilla without vanilla beans? So just say you get a yoghurt that is, um, you know, vanilla... Vanilla Greek yogurt, for example, and it tastes like vanilla. Is it really vanilla? And that's what the the cases are about. And he's gone as far as you know taking soft drinks in America, like A and W, who do root beer yeah. um, with aged vanilla, taking them to court, going, "Well, is this really vanilla?" So all these companies are now having to come out to explain how they get their vanilla flavoring in their drink and whether or not it's vanilla. And we'll see how much you know from a financial compensation perspective there there will be. But it just it feels God. like 
it feels difficult to understand why this has to go to court. Also, as the <laughs> as, America, uh, I know, and also, does it, the average person really care? Well, look, the only time I would probably consider litigation is if someone tried to pass something off as chocolate. It wasn't. I can't believe it's not chocolate, Alex. Brown flavoured sugar stuff. Well, it and is. You them. Yeah, but you wouldn't get away with it here. Only in America, as we say. Now, why is it worth turning off your camera during a Zoom call? Researchers found that it's better for the planet. Really? Yeah. So, okay, so this festival is all about our carbon footprint, environmental footprints around internet use. So researchers have found that Zoom and Netflix are the biggest drivers of CO2 emissions. Um, and what could actually help us, especially during COVID, when we're all on our computers all day long, to reduce the size of our carbon footprint, we still have to have online meetings and we still have to do Zoom calls, but actually yeah. turning off the camera helps from a, from a perspective of not using as much of a... Um, of, you know, the, the conferencing services that has the carbon fo- footprint. So, for example, if you use um, Zoom, mm-hmm. you know, that has a carbon footprint of around 157 grams of CO2 per hour. Right. So by turning off the camera, that will help minimise that. All right. Well, I guess it's something small we can do uh, to, you know, ward off. It's a good excuse to not have the camera. Well, that's the point true. This whole topic. Well, that is true. Um, I'm trying to help people who yeah. don't want to brush their hair. But also, um, you know, come on, you need to uh, crack down on your carbon footprint. Oh, you do. I mean, it's 377 grams just by having the camera. It's not nothing to sneeze at. No. The first 3D printed house is now up for sale. Yeah. <laughs> is this what we can expect in the future? You know, it's a fabrication process that's cheap, and it could be a way to deal with um, housing crisis, like a housing crisis that we've, we've seen in Australia, but also in, in Long Island where this particular house is it's an open floor plan home um it's you know ranging around two hundred ninety-nine thousand dollars in terms of cost and it's been created with an automated process from an autonomous robotic construction system that prints structures out of concrete so it's literally a three-bedroom two-bathroom home 3d printed on site lovely and you can live in it and it could be a great solution um and this could be the future in terms of fast sustainable housing Sounds okay to me. So are you expecting roses on Sunday? I'm expecting flowers on Sunday, not roses, because the person I'm dating knows I'm not really... He knows I'm not really into red roses. Not into red roses? No, I'm actually into white roses. White roses? Yeah. Okay. That's because I'm boring and everything has to be the same colour in my house. You're very very vanilla. (laughs) I'm very vanilla, yes. I will see you to see whether or not I'm really vanilla. You're going to sue me? (laughs) Uh, let's just settle. I'll send you a bunch of red roses, okay? Done. <laughs> all right, Alex, great to chat. We'll talk to you next week. Where do we go for all the details? Thebigsmoke.com, do you? Have a great week, Dale. See you soon. Bye. Thanks. Yes, I see you crying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel your broken heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can feel your hurting. Still you choose to play the part If you let me be
can have the best of life With all this I'll give you A pure love that gold can't buy If you take a chance I'll be worth the chance Worth the Sunday. You buying me any flowers for Sunday scruff? What are you looking at me like that for? What are you smiling at? No? It's a no. You'll apparently get yourself into a whole stack of trouble, don't you, each and every year in saying that to the Leader of the Opposition, um, your wife, Belinda. Isn't that right, Justin? You tell her, look, I can't buy you flowers because they only die. I don't want our love to die. Hey, that's a good excuse. I don't believe it for a moment, but it's a good excuse. Buy her some flowers, you tidy. Hey, maybe take her out to a nice romantic dinner or something. You got something? You got a babysitter plan? Little Cameron's going to be looked after on Sunday, so you and Melinda can, um, you know, be. Look, what? Did you? Far out, Belinda. I'm going to call her on Friday. I tell you what, that's what we're going to do on Friday, at a Valentine's Day. I haven't spoken to the Leader of the Opposition on air for a while, but I'm going to call her on Friday and I'm going to ensure that you have something planned, something romantic, something sweet with your... What are you sticking your tongue out for and pretending to throw up for? Come in here. I mean, the poor woman. Here she is. She has to put up with you. 20, almost 24-7. Well, not 24-7. Hey, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, Justin and romantic, those two words do not go together. No romance in my blood. What? Nothing. What about your wife? Oh, maybe back in the beginning, but... Hang now, on. Now no, just... but you, you, you can't allow the romance to die. Hey? Look at you and your new relationship. Your no, but romance that's is the, the thing. Point. But even, even uh, yes, okay, very good. Yeah, I know I'm a bit besottled. That's fine. But he's, I've seen in his car he's got lots of presents already for 
Valentine's Day. Fresh. Oh, flowers. He's got a... I've already given her a Valentine's Day gift. Already. Already? I, I went a week early. Oh, you old romantic. And she's shouting me a nice weekend away. She's shouting you? I know. Oh. I know. It's a dirty weekend. <laughs> I don't want to know. Why don't, that, why don't you take your <laughs> wife away on a dirty weekend? That'll reinvigorate things. That'll I don't get understand that sp- what you're saying. What, what's a dirty uh, weekend? That'll get that spark back in your relationship. Oh. Hey? That's a good idea. Blue Mountains, that's where everyone goes for that. No. Well, you don't have to. Why don't you go somewhere nice down to, I don't know, down to Berry. Okay. Or the back of Kiama. Places like that. Gorgeous. Little, why don't you go to a B&B, take your beautiful wife away for a weekend. Where are you going? Spoil. I'm not telling you. Spoil I'm not going her. there. No. I don't want to be in the next room. Jesus. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Look, there's a line there and you just completely step over it. <laughs> you always do. I don't understand. I really don't get it. Um, you've got a beautiful wife. You've got a, a, a lovely young family. And you just you don't have a romantic bone in your body. I don't. Why? I admit it. I don't. And I get myself in trouble all the time. That's why she's called the leader of the opposition, because she's always arguing against me. Well, is it any wonder? <laughs> I'm starting to understand why, Belinda, your beautiful wife, the leader of the opposition, as you call her, is always arguing with you, because do you at least do you cook a dinner? I cook dinner every night, because okay. I get home early. Well, that's something. Yes. Do you give her neck massages when she's feeling a little tense? When, or a bit? when she wants it, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's kind of romantic. Oh, I've done a romantic thing. You have? In your books. Thank you. Well, that's romantic. Yeah, okay. And do you, do you talk about your day at work? Oh, yes, I okay, got that, Marcus. No, God. no, no. Oh. Do you talk? I mean, do you talk to her? I do talk to her, yes. Right. While I'm falling asleep, because I, I got up at three o'clock. It doesn't, it's no excuse. I like all this uh, we need tips to, from Marcus. We need to reignite it's a new segment. the fire. We need Ma- to, we, you, you need to be more romantic and understanding of your wife's needs, Justin. Marcus's love tips. And why don't you start doing it <laughs> this year and start on the weekend Valentine's Day? Yeah. You haven't convinced me yet. At least buy her some roses. They just die. See? Belinda, I'm sorry. I can't, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep at it. I'll keep trying. Latest news, sport and weather next. And then Helen Dalton, MP uh, from Murray in the, pro, in the uh, studio here. Live across Australia. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hmm. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, surprise, surprise... The majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Analysis done by an inquiry chair, MP David Shoebridge, has revealed all this new information. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's not about politics for me. It's not Berejiklian or Barilaro's money. We expect our money to be shared equitably across the state of New South Wales. Marcus, in accordance with need in accordance with where it's most needed. And that's why I pushed to establish this inquiry. You know, it's a committee that I chair. It's called the Public Accountability Committee. How did a, you know, large uh, multinational timber company get 10 million bucks? Bushfire-related funds. We'll be asking this question. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back to the program. It's 21 minutes away from 8 o'clock. A very special guest in the studio this morning, Helen Dalton, the Murray MP. Helen, in a moment, right now, Luke's on the open line. G'day, mate. G'day. Marcus, how are you going? All right. Um, 
how you going? You sound like a, a, a farmer. Are you, am I right there? No, not quite working on it, but it's almost impossible to buy a farm these days. You have to inherit one. Really? Where are you calling from? Uh, I own a gun shop in Coona. Okay, all right. Now, uh, what did you call for, mate? So, been talking to a lot of our locals. I've owned our gun shop now for three years, or uh, two years, and in the last three years, we've lost 90% of operational dairy farms around Coona, mm. in between Coona and Gunbower. We've gone from 67 operational dairy farms down to seven, with another one closing shortly. Um, yeah. What's to blame for this, Luke? Why, uh, in your community, why are these dairy farmers closing up shop? Well, there's two factors. So you've got the cost of water, and then we had the dairy industry went down the gurgler there a while ago. Yep. So we had the price of milk wasn't enough, and the water cost was just exorbitant. In 2019, water in our region jumped 420%, yep. from $240 a megalitre to $1,150. Now... Consensus is that anything over three hundred and fifty bucks a meg is actually not even viable for stock and domestic. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've got Helen Dalton here. Uh, maybe we'll get some sense out of all of this with Helen. You know, Helen's fighting for water rights, uh, cheaper water in in areas of rural um, and regional New South Wales. Luke, so you say seven, sixty-seven dairy farms used to flourish in the region. Now we're down to how many? seven with another one closing in the next couple of months. Right, so there'll be and, six. And keep in mind, hmm. they're not just farms closing. Every farm, like a farm might turn over $2 million and, and keep 150000 out of that $2 million. So oh. all that gets spent in the community. You know, yeah. like you've, they're paying labour, they're paying for fertiliser, they're paying for fuel, they're paying for mechanics, they're getting people out to fix the dairy. So you've got a, so much money that they spend in the community. And generally speaking... Everything I've, I've read and, and heard, the income from one farm circulates around the community 10 times before it leaves. Yes. Now, we've got banks that are closing. We've only got one bank left in the next couple of months, and it's only open from 10 a.m. till 12.30. So for two and, a half hour, two and a half hours a day? Yep. Really? Now, so- banks are closing. That's... That's something. That's saying something about your town, isn't it? It is, mate. So uh, just remind me again, where where are you? Kahuna, spelt with a C, C-O-H-U-N-A. All right, mate. Thank you for letting us know, and I appreciate your call. All righty? Thanks for having me on, Mark. All right, Luke. Thank you, Helen. You're doing a great job. All right. Well, let's, <laughs> thank you. let's bring in Helen Dalton. Morning to you, Helen. Welcome to the program. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, look, we thought we'd take Luke, uh, who's a gun shop owner mm. in this regional New South Wales area that he's referring to. He says the dairy farms continue to drop off the map. Uh, water is too uh, too much of a cost, uh, and essentially he said that uh, farms are the livelihood of these regional areas, and the more farmers who shut up shop, then obviously these areas will continue to suffer and wilter. That's true. He, what he's saying is absolutely correct, and that's happening um, around um, areas in my electorate. Um, I know that um, water has been priced out of the basic food staples, such as dairy. Um, areas around Daniloquin, they've lost, I think they had about 70 dairies, and they're down to only less than 20. And that um, that's a huge impact on the regions uh, around there. I know banks are closing. There's one Commonwealth Bank want to pull out of um, Finlay, I believe. Um, it's also 
what it does is uh, gives the government an excuse not to put in any money into those regions. So mm-hmm. what happens are uh, schools close. Yep. Um, they cut back the money for our healthcare services. Yeah. And the, gradually the, the community winds down and it just leads to hardship for all. And um, what the what the governments fail to understand is how important these regions are and how important it is to keep our food staples on the table. So... Um, you know, we already know that in New South Wales it won't take much of a hiccup and we will be importing fresh milk, apparently, according to the... Um, um, I mean, that's... Uh, seriously, importing fresh milk? Well, it's... Um, in this country? These dairies are, are closing up at the rate of knots. It won't take much. We're, we're OK now. Yeah. But... Um, what sort of time frame are we looking at? I, I'm not sure, but it was mentioned to me um, by um, CWA, um, and um, uh, it, it's a worry. It's wow. a worry. We already know that we are, um, we're out of Australian rice, yep. and um, we're waiting for this crop to be harvested. We've, there's rice in the ground now, yep. and um, it'll be harvested around April, mm. and that'll put Australian rice back on the shelves. Well, let's hope so. Mm. Yep. All right, Helen. Uh, one of the main reasons I brought you in this morning, uh, Michael West will be breaking a big story later this week about how foreign companies can avoid paying capital gains tax when they make massive profits on trading Australian water. There's that, that bloody line that I hate again. Trading Australian water. Water should not be a commodity that's traded by foreign Bloody foreign multinational corporations who have tax havens overseas pay next to no tax, if any at all, and they're pricing mum and dad farmers out of the water market, for goodness sake. Well, it's a massive subsidy for them, isn't it? You know, I, I just... And, and Australian farmers pay all the way. We pay our taxes. Yes. We pay capital gains when we sell our water, you know, yep. on a permanent basis. And these people are getting a free kick. And you'd have to, like, Why? You know, and the the Australian Tax Office yeah. knows. And they, they, they're they allowing know. it to happen. So they're it's a allowing loophole. it to happen. And uh, even Labor haven't um, kicked up about this. So this has been going on for a fair while. All right. Yeah. So this private ruling from the Australian Taxation Office mm. suggests foreign residents can disregard any capital gains tax as water is not considered a real property. Because water ownership and trading is so secret, as we know, it would also be easy for foreign companies to hide assets and profits in offshore bank accounts. Now, you've spoken to Melinda Pavey about this, and she's basically, again, passed the buck, you know, with a flick that would do, I don't know, Benji Marshall proud. She's passed it on to the feds. Well, she does. And generally, when I write to Melinda Pavey, the water minister, she doesn't reply. Now, I already know that they're trading water on a platform. I don't quite understand the platform in Chicago. And I already Australian know, water? Well, I'm not sure. Right. H- how do we know? And, um, and I already know that there's a, a mob over in um, Switzerland mm. who, who are looking to, for investors in water. So they're saying the Murray-Darling Basin's a great place to invest. Um, how about you, know, you come and buy the, If you're getting a tax water. break. Well, these... You know, even Australians are going through that company to invest, but anyone in the world would be able to do that. And that's, I mean, do they understand that um, people can 
the way the trading market is, yeah. there's potential for people to game the system mm. and manipulate the market. It can be easily done. I don't believe it. I, I really can't understand why we have governments that stand in the way of Australian farmers and Australian small businesses. We elect people into Parliament. We elect governments to support Australians, businesses in particular, these mum and dad operators and farmers and the ones, irrigators, etc. These are the people taking the risk. These are the people feeding our country, exporting produce, a lot of them, but so many of them are being uh, placed outside of the market or they're being forced, as we heard earlier from Luke, to sell farms, dairy farms, whatever they are, because of the fact that, well, water has become a commodity that only those that are doing well can mm. can afford to have. Well, they're not, you know, they're destroying the fabric of our rural regional areas. Oh, That's no, basically, just, you know, we're struggling to keep ourselves going. They're, my part of the world is a beautiful part of the world and um, has great potential. Yeah. But it's because it's in spite of the governments. Yeah. Not because of. We try and do what we can, but, you know, we're kind of pushing the whole way all the time, mm. trying to say, well, here you've got, you know, we've got the potential to produce, yep. get off our neck and get some decent policies. Boy, oh boy. All right. Uh, look, it's obviously something that we need to speak to uh, maybe perhaps the federal government about. I'm not quite sure, but this, this loophole uh, that Michael West and... And, and others and and us on this program have discovered uh, it's it again leads to an unfair playing field and I asked the question uh, you know uh, to to the premier and to to Belinda Pavey to John Barillaro to those in power in New South Wales don't pass the buck on this put some pressure on the federal government your counterparts your colleagues in Canberra and find out why foreign multinationals and others foreigners are able to avoid paying capital gains tax on water. It's Australia's water. It belongs mm. to all of us, not just those with the deepest pockets. That's right. All right, let's move on to this rural health inquiry, Helen. As we know, uh, your electorate has been at the centre of this rural health inquiry with some shocking findings on the state of our rural hospitals. Uh, I've outlined a few of the issues, and we've talked about it on this program before. In Griffith, what the hell's going on at Griffith Base Hospital? Well, you might well ask. It'd be ha it's really quite difficult to find out what is actually going on. But yeah. um, I do get um, calls, secret calls from people, employees at the hospital, telling me that um, there's a lot that's happening. Particularly, I think the biggest issue, not just at Griffith, but all around in my electorate, yeah. is the culture of bullying within the, the hospitals. Um we also because is of that, sorry Helen to interrupt you is that why so many people who put submissions into this inquiry have had their names suppressed? Yes, they're terrified. Like I have people that um, they get together with their mates after their shift, mm. and they'll sit in the car and put down the blinds, and they'll put me on loudspeaker and tell me what's going on. They won't tell me who they are because they're terrified. They've got m mortgages and they want their job, so they they're not speaking out about, or they can't speak out about making the appropriate changes. So I guess uh, we're being. Um, you know the money's not flowing through enough. They've, they've, um, we're short of nurses. Um, mm. We're short of 
doctors, and even here we're, even we're short, short of bandages. bandages. <laughs> so I, I oh, did. Come on. This I come heard on. this ages ago. Uh, that, is, it, is, uh, that, is that is that is that real? That's not. That's just real. A, that's real. Not a tall tale that's been no. exaggerated. That's no, real. and that's only but one part. That's where, you know... Um, Just remember, anybody that might be listening or watching this podcast later and you're down in that area of Griffith, if you injure yourself, if you're involved in some sort of trauma, car accident, maybe you're in a, an accident uh, on your farm... I hope you're not, uh, but just remember when you jump in the back of the ambo or someone's rushing into hospital, just go past home, grab yourself a, a couple of bandages or go to the nearest chemist. And <laughs> it's BYO. Or, or the other alternative is um, just for a minor thing, like perhaps you break, um, you know, well, um, if you've got to go in an ambulance yeah. um, to a bigger, larger hospital, you have to ride in that ambulance, which I believe is not very comfortable, mm. for about two hours. To get to the new to get to Wagga Base, who and Wagga Base is really over um, committed. Like they're flat out, oh, absolutely. and and they're short on um, they're short of uh, nurses, RNs, and doctors. Well, and, and you know, um, we need to Griffith Base Hospital services a huge region. Yeah, and um, we need seven thousand square kilometres. Well, that's that's the electorate, but even I. Griffith Base Hospital would service about 80,000 people going up to Cobar yeah. out in the remote areas. Okay, so 80,000 people deserve a hell of a lot better. Uh, there needs to be somebody that can deal with trauma like rape. There's no, there's no, no. nobody uh, trained to deal with, uh, you know, with uh, the use of the rape kit, etc. I mean, that's awful to talk about, but it's serious. Well, if you if you are raped in Griffith and um, there's only one doctor that's um, can administer what they call the rape kit. Yeah. You then have to get yourself together, and and travel another at least another two hours, mm. and sometimes some of them have had to travel four to Canberra to have this rape kit administered. Not I mean, enough. if the I'm Not just it it isn't, and no. Um, no. for women it's just. Well, I mean, for well, particularly for women, for it's dis awful. disgraceful. Um. There's no mental health unit in any hospital in the Murray region. No, no, there's not, and we have. I mean, I sound, I sound like it's you know, um, it's yeah. There's a mental health problem there. There's a mental health problem, and we saying. have one of the the highest suicide rates in the country in our area, and they will not deal with it in an appropriate way. What we does need Brett Hazard, the health minister, say about this? Oh, that's right. We can we can go over to Wagga. Wagga's two two hours away. We can go over there. They've got a mental health unit. Well, in Griffith, you know, if you had a an episode on um, Friday afternoon, um, there's just no there's no support. There's no support. No. And all these other um, areas that have the support are over committed. Like mm. it's it's not that that easy. John Marillaro, uh, Minister for Regional New South Wales, he's been in that position for the last six years. I can't believe, and I'm sorry, John, but you've taken your eye off the ball. I, I don't know what you've been doing. How on earth can this bloke be taken as credible when he says that he was, quote-unquote, shocked to find that rural hospitals are underfunded and that's, understaffed? And well, that's, that's rubbish. He, he'd have to be living under a rock. Um, he knows exactly, because I've brought it up plenty of times in Parliament about what's <laughs> happening. So he hasn't been out lately to to my region. 
Right. He's been to Albury lately, but um, he knows exactly what's going on. They do all know what exactly what's going on. Well, it's about bloody time they did something about it, Helen. Mm. Oh, for for sure. I mean, um, it's we're all part of New South Wales. Yes. And right now we have a shorter life expectancy out in the bush. Yep. And we've got to bridge that gap. Mm. And the money, if you have a gap, you have to work out where the money's going to go. Mm. And clearly... There's a need for it to go out into the bush. All right, just before I let you go today, um, in uh, you're back in state parliament today. What are you looking at? Um, well, we're looking at um, water, of course, and yeah. um, uh, trying to get some sensible outcomes with floodplain harvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the biggest one. And there, there's always ticking, you know, health, education, and yeah. water are the three biggies, and it's always. You know, we we spend the majority of our time on that sort of the, on those issues because mm. they are they underpin our electorate big time or our region. Yep. All right, Helen. Always great to have you uh, fighting the good fight. Um, our hashtag Water Warrior. Uh, we will uh, follow and support your endeavours in state parliament to keep these people honest and ensure that regional New South Wales, particularly those in the Murray-Darling Basin, uh, in your seat and elsewhere in regional New South Wales, get a fair go from this mob. No, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you again. It's always great coming into the studio and catching up. Take care. Thank you. Helen Dalton, Murray MP, Marcus Paul in the morning. We're off to the news at 8 o'clock next. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Stop with all the BS spin from the Prime Minister down whenever there's an issue... Uh, relating to the inappropriate spending of public money or something they don't like hearing any criticism. Oh, it's the politics of envy. The Mayor of the Blue Mountains, Mark Greenhill. Why did they ring us and approach us and ask us to apply? And why during all the follow-up conversations did this criteria never get mentioned? We were surrounded on three sides by fire. Yep. Homes were lost in our community. 70% of our world heritage area destroyed. Our tourism economy brought to its knees. We put in 24 grant applications for $5.4 million and received not one cent. It's hard to understand. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, uh, thank you for listening to us this morning. 13 12 69, the telephone number at six and a half minutes after eight. Uh, look, we've got a couple of callers uh, that we'll go to. Uh, some people are ringing us now with stories of issues that uh, they're confronted with. Catherine sent us a note this morning. She's got an issue with Jetstar, apparently. I mean, this is the problem, too. It's not an isolated case, I don't think. We'll speak to Catherine about that, but I just want to break it all up a bit with my mate Dave. Morning, Dave. Two mind readers met in the street. Mm. One said, Hello, you're fine. How am I? (laughs) Go away.
Yeah, how good was it to have Helen Dalton here in the studio with us this morning? And for all of our new listeners, I know our audience is growing. Um, are you surprised? Are you disappointed? Are you maybe disgusted to learn that we could be importing milk in our country before too long? Because we can't get something as simple as water right. Absolutely. And what about this story? I mean, well done, Michael West, Friendly Geordies, and, uh, and also Helen Dalton, and maybe us as well, on breaking this story. Foreign companies can avoid capital gains tax when they make massive profits on trading on our water. It's bloody not good enough. We've come across a private ruling from the Australian Taxation Office that suggests foreign residents can disregard any capital gains tax as water is not considered a real property because water ownership and trading is so secret it would also be easy for foreign companies to hide assets and profits in offshore bank accounts. Now, what does the New South Wales Water Minister, Melinda Pavey, say about it? Or nothing. She passes it on, passes the buck. It's a federal issue. All right, well, if it's a federal issue, then we'll go to the federal minister involved and we'll try and get them on the program at some point. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Catherine, good morning, Dale. Oh, hi, how are you going? Good. Now, tell me, what's your issue with Jetstar? Well, um, yeah, I, I just want to get to, um, uh, out to the listeners there not to use Jetstar because it's an ongoing problem and, um, and it's, it's still happening. Um, people are uh, receiving vouchers from Jetstar saying this is what you requested. They didn't request it. And, um, yeah. And Let's go back to the start, Catherine, if I may. So tell me, mm-hmm. what's the story? Um, you, you obviously uh, wanted to fly somewhere but couldn't because of COVID-19. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was just one morning I, um, I woke up and there was an email from Jetstar saying, here's the voucher you requested. Um, Where and- were you supposed to go? When? Um, from Brisbane to Darwin okay. now on the um, 5th of uh, August. Okay, and you couldn't go because of border closures. You did not say to Jetstar that you wanted a voucher. What did What did you say when you couldn't fly? Um, well, I um, didn't think anything of the voucher that day. I was busy, so I rang right. up the next morning, mm-hmm. which was I received this voucher on the morning of the 20th of July. And so on the 21st of July... I got onto Jetstar and um, I was asking a lot of questions. They kept on cutting me off on live chat and phone call and I finally got through to another person on chat to ask about the voucher and he, he had a little giggle and he said, but you've already used your All right, voucher. this is where it gets interesting. Um, okay, so look, there's no problem uh, with getting a, a voucher, if you like, to reuse uh, because, you you know, you couldn't fly to your destination. I get that, and I applaud the airline for that. But this is where it gets really um, difficult because you're not the only one this has happened to. So yeah. someone somehow has gotten onto the Jetstar system, used your details, and basically used your voucher. Is that right? That's correct. How does something like this happen? I don't know. Jetstar won't tell us. Um, they just uh, got... Apparently, they got so many um, complaints that yeah. they had to call in um, Qantas security. 
investigation and um, and then it had to go to the fraud squad. And uh, what date was this happening on? This was... Um, this, my case happened on the, um, uh, the 21st of July. Okay, so around July, mid-year last year. So Jetstar mm. tried to tell you, Catherine, that your computer was hacked. You, yeah, event- yeah, you eventually found out that someone fraudulently went onto or into Jetstar's supposed secure booking system, impersonating you, using your personal information to cancel your flight booking and ask for a credit voucher and make another booking, which they then used. Is that right? That's correct. Oh, hang on. I thought uh, these booking services were supposed to be secure. Well, you tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. All right, so they brought in Qantas Security uh, and their IT experts. Someone, so we've got to be a little careful now, someone what? has been charged with fraud over this. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. But w- w- what's the outcome for you? So if police are investigating and they've laid charges against somebody for fraud, what did Jetstar now say to you? Did you, A, receive an apology, and B, did you get another voucher? No. Uh, they they just just wiped their hands of us. Well, that's and, not and right. And I'm in contact with I'm in contact with um, five other people that I know of um, mm. that it's happened to. It is still going on. They're sending people out vouchers saying this is what you requested, and people are getting in contact with me saying they didn't. They didn't know anything about it. They didn't ask for vouchers. They just turned up like mine in their system. Um, yeah. Um, All right. We'll have to get on to Jetstar about this. Um, I'm going to ensure that um, we tag them in a recording of our conversation this morning on our social media. So we'll get something up on that. Uh, we'll get. To, I've got your details, Catherine. Let us follow it up with Jetstar and find out what they have to say. Okay. I really like this because um, I've been trying to get onto the media. I don't, you know, I feel like a lot of the media are um, in the pockets of Jetstar and Qantas. Well, and don't want to know just be a little careful. I don't know. Uh, look, at the end of the day, I'm happy to help you out. Uh, yeah. We'll see what we can uh, find out because not only just for you, but if other people are experiencing the exact same problem, well, then Jetstar need to uh, come clean, say, look, yes. We had an issue, there was a glitch. People have uh, unfortunately used other of our customers' vouchers. We apologise, we fixed the problem, and uh, here, Catherine, have a, a flight on us or something. We'll, we'll work something out for you, Catherine, OK? Yeah, they, they just said that um, on the, on the um, 17th, the, the, the flight was cancelled. Mm. The 18th, that they, they said that um, they sent out emails advising customers this, is, this was the case. I didn't receive one. Then they said on the 19th at 10.28pm at, um, at, at night that I suppose it went on to my portal and cha- um, cancelled my booking then, changed it into a voucher. Then then on the 21st, I made a booking to go from... All right. Well, you, you obviously didn't do any of that, so let's no. get to the bottom of it. Just leave it with us. We'll find uh-huh. out uh, from... We'll explain your story to Jetstar, um, and we'll find out what we can do about it. Okay, Catherine? That'd be great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, back to your open line callers. Uh, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Chris, are you there, mate? 
Yes, Marcus, how are you? All right, thank you, Chris. What's on your mind? Look, in relation to the Murray-Darling, like it's essentially been privatised, the, the, the water. They trade it here and they trade it there. And investigations into the theft of water and, and stuff like that, the, the Australian taxpayer is actually still paying for any legalities or investigations into that side of the water. If it's been essentially privatised, do these traders or the foreign companies that are, are bought into it, and I know there's quite a few, the British, the Chinese, yeah. um, do, do they pay for any of these investigations and, and prosecutions? Or? Well, we don't know, mate. That's the problem, Chris. We don't know because it's so damn secretive. Well, we can take a guess and we can say that we, the taxpayers, are actually paying for it. Um, and it's the same as the tolls. We build the road, sell the, sell the road, mm. and then if there's any tolls that aren't paid or whatever, the RS, RMS is actually the ones that chase that up. Um, taxpayer funded, they're, they're ch chasing that up on behalf of the company that's actually bought the roads. We, 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 the paying never stops for the Australian people. Yeah. It, it's, um, I, I, I just, it's another one of those things you just can't get your head around. Nope, nope, but we'll keep calling it out. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the call, mate. On the email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com at 20 after 8. This from Lynn. G'day, Marcus. What an apathetic, lame and embarrassing excuse the Deputy Premier of New South Wales has made by saying he was shocked that there were no mental health services or other services available in such large rural areas of New South Wales. He must... Be, uh, how must the people living in those areas feel when the person supposedly representing them, the Deputy Premier of all of people in New South Wales, doesn't even have a clue of the state of the inadequate neglected health services delivered to these people in the area? All the best, Lynn. Well, <laughs> yes, you make a really good point, Lynn. Uh, I don't know. Well, Helen Dalton. Helen is somebody who I would trust with my own kids. I believe Helen Dalton, and I would believe Helen before I believed John Barillaro. Helen says Bruz knows exactly what's going on in regional and rural New South Wales. He just chooses to ignore it. Mike Hooper. G'day, Mike. Uh, I haven't scanned this properly. Hopefully this is okay for broadcast. <laughs> uh, Mike says, regarding your <clears throat> weekend away... I hope you have a better time than I did when my wife and I stayed in a hotel one Valentine's night. We were kept awake all night by the noise the couple in the next room were making. All night the woman kept groaning, making shrill noises. The man with her was Roger, apparently. We knew it was him because she kept yelling, Roger Moore, Roger Moore. Oh, no. Was that all right, Scrum? Showers today for Sydney, 24 degrees. Uh, central Tablelands, good morning to our listeners on 2EL Orange and in the Central West. For you today, medium chance of showers around the Blue Mountains 
and tops of 23. And good morning to our listeners in Port Macquarie, FM uh, 93.5 and Radio 531. Up there on the beautiful mid-north coast of New South Wales. Great to have your company in tops around 24 degrees to you, for you today. Partly cloudy, maybe a shower later. And to Coffs Harbour, also looking at around 24 degrees. Likewise, the chance of maybe a shower or two. All right, Scott is with us on the program. Scott, I believe, is having a difficult time down on the New South Wales and Victorian border. Are you there, Scott? Yes, uh, Marcus, good morning. Good morning to you, mate. Uh, Now, I've um, heard briefly what you've been going through. You own a pub, is that right? Uh, I own the business, uh, Tullybuck Hotel, that's correct. Okay. How's it going? It's been really tough. Really, really tough. And not getting any better. Why, mate? Uh, We're we're one of the border towns. Uh, We're probably 50 kilometres up from Swan Hill. Um, a couple of hundred k's back from Mildura, just over the Murray River in the New South Wales side. Yep. And we're sort of in that in that no man's land. Uh, a lot of our trade relies on um, Sydney to Adelaide traffic, backwards and forwards. And and the bridge here carries a tremendous amount of traffic. Usually, yeah. We get lots of stopovers, <clears throat> three hotel, uh, sorry, three motels in town, other accommodation, and when they're full, of course, uh, we do rather well. Um, but there is just no traffic over the bridge. Uh, borders keep opening and closing, decisions keep getting made, and uh, the, the impact is just amazing, absolutely amazing. And you step out the front door, I was out there again last night, you just look up the street, there's, there's no one. There should be B-doubles going backwards and forwards all day, all night across this bridge, and there's just no traffic anywhere, just no travellers. And is it because of the COVID-19 border closures? I would have to say that um, we it was interesting. We uh, up until June of last year, we had probably one of our best financial years ever. We had better revenue than the year before, and that included two of probably the worst trading months Australia's probably ever seen. And yet, we still had better revenue. Come, uh, I think it was July seventeenth when the borders closed. Uh, that was pretty much it. Uh, the, the taps got turned off. Um, we had. Border police here for I think till into October, defence and police. Yep. And uh, and of course that just put the kibosh on. And, and even after they've gone, uh, it, it just the traffic's never picked up. I just think there's so much uncertainty uh, about what COVID COVID is doing. People aren't making forward plans anymore. I'm not taking the gamble on booking any sort of function in the hotel due to uh, size restrictions. Well, you couldn't prior to Christmas anyway, so yeah. my capacity of the hotel was reduced dramatically, so you couldn't have Christmas parties and anything like that. And it's just been a, uh, an extension of, of the whole thing. And uh, I just don't think people are um, doing too much forward planning. So, because uh, you don't know what's around the corner. Look what's going ahead in uh, Melbourne again at the moment, and that's just going to keep happening. And and I look I look down the track, and, and I've, I've been in this position before. I'm not too... Uh, We've been in the pub for nearly seven years, yep. and there's been a lot of times during that time where you're breaking even, you're losing a bit of money, you make money, but you do that knowing that there's certain waypoints on the journey. Well, that's and after look, I, I mean, that's, that out, yeah, that's business. I mean, sometimes business, yep. sometimes business is booming, other times yep. it's a little slow. But uh, you're absolutely right, um, and the closures by the Andrews government haven't helped you or other small businesses in areas like where you're calling from? 
No, no, that's right. What can you do about specific. it? Oh, well, I honestly don't know. <laughs> how, much, I, I really... how much have you invested? Uh, how much investment do you have in this hotel? Is it, is it your life, your livelihood, everything? Yeah, it, it was all in. So, you know, we, we were lucky enough um, when we first came down uh, from Darwin when many years ago. We had a mm. property in Darwin and, you know, there was a bit of a boom on at that stage. And uh, we made some money selling a house in Darwin and yeah. then reinvested it all in the hotel. So mm. everything is, is in this hotel. So uh, there, there's, no other, there's no other options, but at a certain point... And you can't sell it. Forward projections. You can't no, sell it. Who's going to buy it? No one's going to buy it at the moment, and, and, and that's, that's part of the problem. I looked down the tw- track 12 months, and, and really nothing's going to be better for probably another 18 months, and we're just not going to be able to last the journey. Um, as I say, I've been in this spot before, but I know that there's Christmas, there's New Year's, there's Australia Day, there's uh, Easter, yeah. there's Queen's birthday, you, there's first deaths and weddings yeah. and everything, but they're not happening. No. Do you uh, do you still have a mortgage on this place? For instance, you being, you know, are, are you paying, uh, you know, banks? Are you in? Have you no, gone no, into that's, debt? That's the, no, that's the fortunate thing about okay. where I am at the moment. I am. Um, if I have to go, I will be able to go, and I'm not not uh, owing anyone anything. So uh, right. the the business was owned, and uh, you know I wouldn't be dragging anyone down with me. And that's I've got to take that into consideration as well, because the further I go on ahead, I can borrow money to keep going. But at some point, when there's just no light at the end of the tunnel, you've got to make a judgment call and go, well, okay, uh, at what point is this mentally going to do me in? And uh, and my family, oh, how far do we go? Yeah, is there? Are you getting any support at all from anybody? Oh, we we were initially. Um, we uh, we just missed out. There was a, I think there was a federal government offer of about ten thousand dollars. We just missed out because you needed to have dropped your business by seventy percent. Mm. We were a couple of percent off that, but we did get uh, we got JobKeeper for the first first half. But then, of course, when Border Force came along. That sort of inflated our revenue. We had no bar traffic. We were doing money yeah. on food, yeah, but sure. there's no bar track of traffic, and that's where the that's where the profit is. Mm. So of course I then missed out on JobKeeper. But um, I was, uh, and a lot of businesses See, we got fast uh, yeah. money as well for a couple of quarters. You've fallen through the cracks. Well, I haven't made much noise. I have to say, but um, you know, it, it's really. It's really one of those situations I'm not too sure what anyone can do about, but, yeah, it's just these border towns are just struggling so hard. It, yeah. it really is different to being in your city central. No, and I was in Geelong a couple of weeks ago, and nightclubs yeah. were going hammer and tongs. Well, that's right. They it's ridiculous. Out. It's ridiculous. Uh, look, thank you for sharing your story with us, Scott. I really do appreciate it. Um, we'll we'll, we'll endeavour to, to get it out there as much as we can. Okay, mate? Thank you so much. All right, look after yourself, please. Look after your mental health. The best to you and your family. Remember, at the well, end of the day, if you stick together with them, uh, you and your, your, your partner, and if you have any children, just and hold, two kids, yep. hold on to each other, mate. Don't give up. Hold on to each oh, other. Do. Remember, it's been brilliant. Remember what's important, mate. Okay? Thank you so much. And you look after yourself, please. Will do. Cheers. Border closures. There you go. There's the reality of... Now on Marcus Paul in the Morning. 
the Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. Morning, Dicey. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Excellent. It's uh, 21 minutes away from nine. We'll hear you from nine o'clock reading the news for Lawsy. Are you romantic, Di? Well, I kind of am, but I kind of am not. Does that make sense? Yes, in a way. Like, I, I like the romance and, you know, flowers and chocolates and things like well, that. Well, at least but you like flowers. The bloke out there... I mean, this fella doesn't buy flowers for his wife. Well, what I was, the, my next thing was is, but after being married for 20 years, you know, the, the flowers and chocolates are few and far between. But that's okay. So what, Justin's not buying Belinda any flowers for Valentine's Day? No, apparently he never does. And his excuse is, well, they just die. Oh, my gosh, Justin. Belinda? <laughs> Look, we're going to get her on the phone on Friday. And okay. See, and, yeah. and what I'm going to do, even if I have to go out and buy bloody five, four or five long stem <laughs> roses, which I'm going to do on Friday. And give I'm, them to Justin to give to Belinda? Well, no, that's separate. Okay. But I'm, we're going to try. I'm going to get the girls in from the newsroom and yourself. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and get this guy at least a little bit romantic ahead of the weekend. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, his wife. Oh, look, he's he's obviously punching above his weight. Well, aren't we all? Yeah. (laughs) Aren't we all? But still, that's beside the point. Um, He needs to get a little romance in his life. He does. He definitely does. It's one day a year. Yeah. One day a year. So, we'll Look, And, you know, they could find a babysitter for the night, have a well, nice I've, romantic I've, dinner. All, yes, I've, I've suggested that. And it, mm. Can I tell you, before Justin and Belinda were married, mm-hmm. Justin was quite vocal about the fact that they were happy to have a sausage sizzle in their backyard, a backyard barbecue for their wedding. And anyway, they didn't end up having that because Belinda stepped in. But Oh, no know. kidding. <laughs> really? Wow. Uh-huh. And she stuck around, bless her. Uh, look, she's lovely, <laughs> uh, Mrs Scruff, the leader of the opposition, as he calls her. Uh, but I think she, she deserves uh, a little bit she more. She deserves to get spoiled. Doesn't she? And so do us blokes. <laughs> I mean, I guess the other way of putting it... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other way of putting it, I guess, is that, uh, you know, uh, maybe, um, what was I going to say? I'm, I'm lost now. Wombat, actually. Let's just go to Wombat first. I was going to say, the other way of putting it, too, is that I bet you she spoils him on Valentine's Oh, absolutely Day. she would. Wombat, are you there? I am. I've got a suggestion to Justin Tell to us. buy her a red rose bush, and that won't die. It will produce beautiful roses in the garden. Yeah, but haven't you got to look after it? Doesn't he need to be a caretaker of a rose bush, or do they pretty much look after themselves? I've I've sort of learnt to uh, propagate rose bushes because my father was very good in the garden. Oh, okay. And uh, I have uh, several rose bushes that I just grow from a cutting. Lovely. All right. Well, Wombat, because we're going to have to... I know that you quite often ring the program. Maybe you can knit something romantic. Knit a heart so I can stick it on this bloke's chest. Hey, knit me a red heart or even a red rose that I can stick on his chest. It might need a, a red heart with an arrow, you think? Maybe something like that. I don't know. Or just an arrow. I'll pretend I'm Cupid on Friday and I'll shoot him with it. Thanks, Wombat. Bye-bye. 13, 12, 69. So, die. Yes. On Friday's the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to organise a couple of the girls from the newsroom and yourself. I'll bring in the uh, the roses. And I'm going to uh, organise everybody here in the studio, all the girls, and I want him to say something romantic to them. I mean, this is, you know, not inappropriate, but I, <laughs> we're, try, we're, we're going to try and teach him a little yeah, about give romance. him a lesson in romance. Yes. Yep. Okay. All, all right. right. This will be fun. <laughs> this will be fun. Sad news. Uh, unfortunately, we've lost uh, 
uh, one of the Supremes. Mm, very sad. One of the originals. Uh, and Mary Wilson, mm. one of the original members of the Supremes, the 1960s group that helped establish the Motown sound and propelled Diana Ross to superstardom, has died. She was age 76. And do you know she started that band when she was 15? Really? Yeah. So just incredible. So I thought, why not? We'll do that. We've got to go to Canberra in a moment. Let's break it up with a little bit of uh, a tribute to the Supremes. Diana Ross. I mean, yeah. amazing. And, of course, uh, it wasn't just her involved in the, the band. It was also Mary Wilson. And here they are, probably one of their biggest hits, I think. Thanks, Daisy. Thank you. Bye. Something to say Go and do it right away Pick up the phone Get on the line 13, 12, 69 Don't wait Do it tomorrow Get up Do it right away It's 11 to 9 after 9 o'clock, the king of talkback. It's great to have your company. We are Australia's only independence and contemporary news talk radio show. Out of 2SM Sydney, uh, thanks to our listeners on 1269am and also 2SM Digital. Uh, to our listeners in the Central West on 2EL, great to know you're there as well. And for our Coffs Harbour crew, 2HC, 639am. And for our Port Macquarie and Mid-North Coast listeners on FM 93.5 and Radio 531. This time each and every day we go to Canberra. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital. Canberra. With Christina Rosengren. Morning, Christina. How are you? Well, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Uh, look, I can't complain. Well, I can, actually. We've been giving uh, Justin a bit of a hard time because he's not romantic. And while he rushes to get your talking points, which he's forgotten to bring in, I want to ask you about romance. Are you doing anything romantic on Sunday for Valentine's Day? Uh, look, my, I'm not. My partner and I... Uh lives in Sydney and I live in Canberra and we won't be seeing each other this weekend, so no, you're I'm not celebrating. My, you're breaking my heart! <laughs> oh no! It has to be a, a long distance uh, or like a Zoom call romantic date. <laughs> oh, there's a song about that. The pandemic. <laughs> there's a song about that, Christina. Tired of making out on the telephone. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh look, he's done, he's it. Justin, come and have a seat. Have a seat with uh, Christina and I. See, on, on oh, Friday, Christina, uh, we're going to get all the girls in from uh, the radio station here and try and teach him a little romance. I'm going to get a I'm whole... I'm not a romantic. I'm going to get a whole stack of long stem roses <laughs> and he's going to uh, give each of the uh, the ladies here in the radio station a rose and say something nice and romantic to them. I don't know. Compliment on them on their hair or their shoes or their nice dress. Good morning, Casey. You look lovely today. It's not hard. I'm going to get myself in trouble with this. Why? Yeah, what about the what about the uh, the men in the office as well? You know, men need some compliments as well. Well, that's true, but he's not yes. married to a bloke, and I want <laughs> I need we need to ensure that his wife gets a little romance in her life, Christina. I mean, this bloke well, then he should be focusing on her, shouldn't he? Yeah, but he sh but he doesn't know how to, so we need to teach him. 
I've yeah. practice, I think. Yeah, okay. so it's just for a little bit of practice, that's all, and uh, we're going to ensure that he, uh, by hook or by crook, learns to be a little bit romantic. Now, it's obviously, uh, he'll be doing it, and the, the girls will be playing a part. Okay. So, in other words, uh, whoever comes in, uh, Michaela Kayser, or uh, Di, they'll be playing the part of Justin's wife. Justin will be, be presenting them with a, a long stem rose saying, gee, your hair looks lovely today, or, or similar compliments. How much is this going to cost me? I've got many girls to give roses to. There's about I'll six or seven girls ro- in here. I'll look after the roses, don't worry. Oh, uh, thank you, Marcus. That's very romantic of you. I'll go away. <laughs> All right, Christina, let's move on now. He's, uh, he's giving me your talking points. Labor leader Anthony Albanese will deliver his industrial relations speech today. It's policy, 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 promising, promising to give workers a better deal. Yes. So as we spoke about yesterday, this is Labor's alternative to the government's industrial relations omnibus bill, uh, which the opposition has pledged to fight. And this is really another major policy announcement, you know, with keeping an eye on the upcoming federal election, which hasn't been called yet, but could happen any time later this year or in the beginning of next year. So Labor's really getting a move on. And uh, with that said, the, the party is, is committing to a number of industrial relations reforms. Yeah. Uh, it's, they include some things that we spoke about yesterday, improving paying conditions for gig economy workers and making sure employees on work sites are paid the same amount for the same job. And there are some other major commitments as well, uh, you know, measures for portable entitlement. So that means that those in the casual work can take sick leave and long service leave with them. And there's also going to be talk about uh, uh, job insecurity, job security rather, enshrined yep. as an objective in the Fair Work Act. So, uh, you know, there are just a, a few major points today really about focusing on job security and, uh, and uh, Labor's pitch about being on the side of the workers. All right, Resources Minister Keith Pitt has revitalised his campaign to set up parliamentary inquiry to investigate the climate policy of banks. Now, there's an issue going on in the Hunter, which tomorrow on the program we'll be speaking to One Nation Stuart Bonds about. Someone's pulled out of the Hunter, one of the big banks of the ANZ. Yes, so uh, ANZ was one of the uh, big uh, driving forces behind uh, Mr Pitt's sort of seeking to set up this parliamentary inquiry, and that's because it made a public commitment last year to halting to halt lending to its largest customers, and most businesses can demonstrate carbon transition plans. That's really what Mr Pitt is focusing on. He doesn't like uh, the fact that uh, businesses or other, not businesses, banks or other financial institutions are pulling back on lending to projects which, or businesses which could increase carbon emissions. So that includes, you know, mining projects, for example. So he's trying to push for this inquiry inquiry to be set up. Yeah. Uh, but there are some government members who are, are not really uh, in support of this. And uh, it deferred a decision last year about whether this uh, inquiry should be set up. And that decision will then be made next week when Parliament returns. And this right. has been trying to broaden the terms of the inquiry just so that uh, he can try to strengthen it to get support, but uh, we'll see how that goes next week. Alright, and finally, the federal government is launching the largest ever mental health study conducted in the country. It's about time. Yes, yeah, so this is a story out of the age this morning. Uh, it's reporting that the government's spending almost 19 a million dollars on an intergenerational health and mental health study and that will be running until 2023 but the first arm of this study is all about mental health they'll be interviewing 17,000 people between the ages of 16 and 85 and that's twice as many people as the last national mental health study and it's with the view of helping the government find a baseline for mental health policies so health minister greg hunt says that the study will bring unrivaled depth depth 
to the government's understanding of mental health challenges and conditions. And I think we can all agree that uh, with the last year we've had and with the bushfires and pandemic, a focus on mental health is certainly needed. Well said. All right, Christina, we'll look forward to hearing your reports from Canberra today on the news. Thank you again. Thank you. Christina in the capital, Marcus Paul in the morning. Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. You make me smile like the sun. Alrighty, thank you for your phone calls, your emails and your SMSs today on the program. Thanks for following our content too on social media. Oh, we hit a new record, didn't we, Scruff? Uh, we've reached on our social media platform, Facebook, over half a million people in the last week. Thank you for sharing our content and getting amongst the conversation there. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and your views. We are first at five around Sydney and Australia on the Super Radio Network. Have a wonderful day. The King of Talkback, John Laws, is next. When you're gone, somehow you come along.